So there's another great Gandhi story that I came across this week while I was reviewing some of the season for nonviolence literature. And in this story, Gandhi encounters a British clergyman who was also a well-known imperialist, which was a man who was committed to the extension of British authority, whether through territorial acquisition or economic and political dominance. It didn't really matter. So there was this awkward gulf of disagreement that lay between he and Gandhi. This clergyman addressed Gandhi by saying, Well, we are both men of God, Mr. Gandhi, aren't we? To which Gandhi replied, You are a politician disguised as a man of God. I am a man of God disguised as a politician. You're listening to the One Power Podcast. I'm Rick Busby. And I'm Tammy Lorraine. And together we are transforming lives, one conversation, one episode at a time. the One Power podcast. Um, we are, today's January 30th, we're in the recording studio, and um, because it's January 30th, we thought we would focus on nonviolence because today kicks off the Gandhi King season for nonviolence. It runs for 64 days. It was created by Gandhi's grandson, Arun Gandhi, and the Association for Global New Thought back in 1998, inspired by the, back at that time, the 50th anniversary, memorial anniversary of Mahatma Gandhi, and the 30th memorial anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And it is an opportunity for people to really um, cultivate um, cultivate nonviolence. It's international, educational, media, grassroots campaign. It's been running, like I said, since 1998. We thought, Rick and I, that we would spend some time talking about what is nonviolence. What does it mean in our own lives and how can we take it deeper? So Rick, what are your thoughts about nonviolence? Yeah, my first experience with the uh, season for nonviolence and the principles of nonviolent communication was in uh, early 2004, when I was asked by Reverend Ron Scott, who was the senior minister at Unity Church of the Hills at the time, and Ron asked me to perform a two-minute speech from Marshall Rosenberg as Marshall Rosenberg. And I was not aware of Marshall Rosenberg when I was asked to play Marshall Rosenberg, but I soon learned that he was the author of a book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life, that had been published the previous year in 2003. And the book laid out the principles and practices of what he describes as a four-part process for nonviolent communication. And since I'd been asked to play Rosenberg, obviously his book captured my interest and my curiosity. And that began my journey into learning more deeply how to transform my own thinking, beliefs, judgments, attitudes, all of that and more around violence and more specifically nonviolence. Before Rosenberg, I had not really thought of violence as the result of not getting needs met. I'd always attributed violence to other motivations. Reframing the cycle of violence as a dynamic of 
getting needs met was revolutionary to my thinking. And what I liked about his four-part process in nonviolent communication is that it has that same quality of practical value that I also found in Unity's Five Principles and the Four Agreements, among some others. And it was easy to understand, and he offered practical strategies for practicing nonviolent communication in my life. So I began to learn how to more consciously and proactively practice nonviolent communication. And I stress the word practice because even after all this time, there's still work to do, still room to grow. And there's a big reason why I appreciate the season for nonviolence so much is because it gives me, you, us, the opportunity each year to come together in consciousness on a global scale to deepen our individual and collective practice of nonviolent principles in our communications, our relationships, our work, our communities, and ultimately the world. And this year, I'm really excited for two reasons. One, because we are doing the podcast during the season for nonviolence. So we'll get a chance to check in on our progress over those 64 days. And also, because of the 64 daily emails featuring inspirations from Gandhi and affirmative practices that can keep us on track in practicing the principles of nonviolence in every aspect of our lives. So I believe that if we stay on track and we practice the daily emails for the entire 64 days, that is more than a long enough period for us to create a new positive habit in our lives. In fact, I got my first email today just before I came to the studio. So for me, the season for nonviolence has officially begun. Yeah. When you and I were talking beforehand, we were talking about how um, we all kind of have these basic needs and it's really just in our inability to communicate, which is why I like nonviolent communication. Um, it's in our ability to be able to communicate with e- each other effectively that we're able to create this nonviolent communication. And it can be, it's not, we're not just talking about the overt stuff, like you said just a minute ago. Um, you know, where am I being violent in my own thoughts, right? Where is it self-directed? So often it's directed towards judging things that I'm thinking or my biases to words that I don't even realize trigger me. I know we're going to, like you said, we're going to get into that with day one's email, which I just love. Um, and you mentioned the email. So um, what we've done in the past here at Unity Church of the Hills have been uh, usually just like some memes with some great quotes from not only Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., but others like the Dalai Lama. And this year, uh, we were provided by the Association for Global New Thought with 64 daily contemplative meditations that are based on the work specifically from Gandhi. And um, there's quotes from him and then these passages and then daily practices that we can do in order to uh, bring nonviolence into that daily practice. Like you said, 64 days is enough time to create a new habit. So I am really looking forward to how my thoughts are going to change as a result of this work. Yeah, you know, creating a new habit, I think there's a misperception sometimes. Uh, People think that, okay, I've created this new habit, so now it's just on autopilot. No, we have to continue to practice, practice, practice. I like using the professional sports analogies uh, a lot. I'm a big baseball fan, so baseball is a good metaphor for me in this regard. They have the big, long season. They go through the playoffs. Some teams go home early when the World Series is over and the new champion is crowned. Then there's about a 60- to 90-day break 
from the season. And then they start spring training. And they come back, and these are professionals. These are folks that get paid a lot of money to to play baseball, right? But in spring training, they get back, and they start practicing the fundamentals again. They get reconditioned. They start, you know, doing the, doing the infield practice, taking, taking the batting reps, running laps, getting in condition. They keep doing the same things year in and year out to prepare themselves for that long season. And that practicing of the fundamentals is really key to achieving mastery over the long term. We, we can't forget that we must practice the fundamentals. It's like, it's great to be able to establish a new habit in 30 days or 40 days or 60 days. But to continue practicing that over the course of time, we have to continue to return to those fundamentals. And uh, that's what I like about unity principles because it's a reminder of the fundamentals. That's what I like about the four agreements because it's a reminder of the fundamentals. That's what I like about baseball, you know, that practicing the fundamentals. And, and so each season that this comes back around, it's a, it's an opportunity for us to, to double down, you know, to recommit. Okay. It's that time of the year again. We're entering into the season for nonviolence and we bring that back in because, you know, we're in a, we're in a perilous time, you know, in the world and in particular here in America and, and communication is failing in a lot of ways. We're talking at each other. Uh, more than with each other now. And we kind of, people have kind of gone to their sort of separate camps and it's becoming more and more fragmented. And it's hard to, to know how to be proactive in cultivating unity when it kind of uncertain as to how to speak with people anymore. And so I think it's very useful. This nonviolent communication, the Marshall Rosenberg book, which we'll talk a little bit about here today. Uh, we'll also leave a, some, uh, in the show notes, we'll leave a link where you can, you know, pick that book up. It's highly recommended. Uh, it's, it's traveled around the world, millions of copies sold. I think it's been translated into, you know, 40 languages at this point in time. Uh, very, very useful and very practical. And that's going to be one of the things that I personally am going to be doing in parallel to the 64 days, uh, meditations is be doing one section, one chapter of Marshall Rosenberg's book as well, along with that, uh, had as part of my daily practices, uh, the nonviolent communication sections will extend a little further than 64 days. So actually by the time I get to complete this, I'll probably be somewhere around 90 or hundred days of practicing these things proactively. And I participated in the past in the season for nonviolence, but I think my plan this year is probably more ambitious than in previous years. And maybe because of the accountability that you and I are working on together in these conversations and with the podcast, but it feels like, um, moving through this experience this year sort of in a public way as opposed to in a private way. Yeah, I can see us circling back around, like maybe the halfway point through the 64 days to just check in with each other and with our listeners. And it's a good reminder, you know, if you've fallen into drift um, around just letting daily life happen, um, to pick it back up. And there's never a bad time to pick it up back up. You know, the Course in Miracles says just choose again, right? So we get to constantly, I loved that you were talking about the habits and that it's not 64 days and then we're done. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be nice. Um, but it's a, it's a always, we're works in progress and, uh, we give ourselves grace as we move along. Grace is such a big word for me when it comes to nonviolence. You know, um, like you were saying, perilous times, um, 
that what the world needs is for each of us to give each other some grace, you know, that we're all kind of doing the best we can, stretched really thin, and um, and to be really present with each other. Um, I know that our next episode, we're actually going to be touching on our white stone words and, um, and getting into uh, Julia Cameron's new book on the listening path and how important listening really is to nonviolent communication, because if we're not listening, we are already in in a it's a violence with the lowercase v <laughs> in, in regards to how we are with people. For me, my intention around the the sixty four days beyond doing the daily emails is to look at those violence with the lowercase v of places that I didn't think of as violent before. Um, and find things to to shift into that are more nonviolent, that are more, which is love, which is peace, which is forgiveness, and just practicing that more and more and more so that it becomes my set point. As you were speaking, we had talked before uh, we got into recording the episode today, that lesson that Jesus articulates of, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That That's how we were taught that lesson. And I, for me, I've always felt like that was an incomplete articulation. Because if I say, love your neighbor as yourself, it sounds like um, a rule that I'm supposed to obey. And I just think that, that it's not wrong, but it, I feel like it's incomplete. It's more useful for me to frame that up as, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. More as a statement of truth, as a statement of principle. The challenge is, how well am I loving myself? If I'm, if I'm not loving myself in, in the most productive, proactive kind of way, I can't show up with others differently than I'm showing up for myself. And so a big part of this nonviolent communication that I'm already getting, even at the outset here, is learning to look at how is my own self-communication with myself? Where is that fall into this class of violence. Like any time that I would talk my, talk down to myself as not being worthy, not being good enough, that's practicing violence in this context against my own self. And if that's my habit, if that's my practice with my own self, I don't show up differently with other people because wherever you go, there you are, as they say, right? And so I think this whole thing about nonviolent communication sort of begins at home, mm-hmm. so to speak, that my practice over these next 60 to 90 days is going to be really taking a close look at how and where I talk negatively to my own self. I'm really excited this year in a, in a way that I haven't been excited in, in previous years. So I'm like, this is probably my 17th or 18th year of observing the season for nonviolence. But I'm very excited about this year because in some ways it feels like my intention this year is higher than in previous years. And I don't know exactly what that's about. Maybe part of it's, you know, our work here with the podcast. Maybe it's just my own personal growth. Maybe it's the circumstances in the world uh, that seem to require us to step up our game a little bit. Whatever it is, I feel differently about it this year than I have in the past. So there was something you said there, Rick, that reminded me of um, something Reverend Eliza said. Uh, she shared a story about Gandhi um, several weeks ago in one of her Sunday messages, and it ties in with this whole idea of self-love and inner work. Um, and so this woman brings her son to Gandhi 
to help uh, heal her son from his sugar addiction. And um, Gandhi, you know, looks at the child and they have a conversation. And he says, bring the son back in two weeks. Come back in two weeks. So they come back in two weeks and Gandhi, you know, has another conversation with the son and just says, you know, well, stop eating sugar, basically. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot more to say there. And she said, well, why didn't you tell him that two weeks ago? Why did you make us wait? And he said, because I was still eating sugar two weeks ago. So he literally couldn't share advice unless he was embodying it, which I think is such a beautiful testimony to the fact that it is all the spiritual teachers say it's an inner job. We've, we go there first. It's not narcissistic to work on ourselves uh, first so that we can show up and be the light in the world. And I just love that story because it just says how we have to do our work first. So there's another great Gandhi story that I came across this week while I was reviewing some of the Season for Nonviolence literature. And in this story, Gandhi encounters a British clergyman who was also a well-known imperialist, which was a man who was committed to the extension of British authority, whether through territorial acquisition or economic and political dominance. It didn't really matter. So there was this awkward gulf of disagreement that lay between he and Gandhi. This clergyman addressed Gandhi by saying, Well, we are both men of God, Mr. Gandhi, aren't we? To which Gandhi replied, You are a politician disguised as a man of God. I am a man of God disguised as a politician. And I don't know whether the story is true or not, but I do think it speaks accurately to the deep abiding spiritual conviction that Gandhi embodied. It's been written of him that he was first, last, and always a profoundly spiritual man. And there was always this deep spiritual motivation underlying everything he did and everything he accomplished. And he truly believes that if we, humankind, could identify with ourselves as spirit first, then there is no way we could express ourselves as violent, because spirit is foundationally nonviolent. As we awaken to the truth of the spirit within, the part of us that intersects universally with all living beings, once we get there, then we can no longer remain violent because to be violent to another is to be violent with ourselves first. And so ultimately it comes down to which part of ourselves we identify with first. What is my personal frame of reference for seeing who I am being in the world? Am I seeing the powerful creative spirit I am at the most fundamental level of my being? Or am I identifying with some lesser version? And which one I choose determines not only the quality of my own self-talk with myself, but by extension the quality of my relationships with others and my experiences in the world and of the world. And for those consciously walking the path of nonviolence, Time and again, over and over, we find ourselves right back at that same crossroads, faced with the same undeniable truth, that to lead a life of nonviolence requires a high degree of personal responsibility for not only my actions, but also my thoughts and words, as well as the underlying system of beliefs and attitudes that support them and keep them in place. I completely agree with you, Rick. So how about we do this? Um, the day one reflection, the first email that comes out, which if you sign up today is the one that you'll get, 
it gives a, a different way of looking at violence that I thought was very intriguing, um, like our resistance to words as a form of violence. So I thought I would just read it really quickly, and then we can kind of talk about the 64 days and, and the email campaign and all of that. So here's what it says. No religion or spiritual path can ever completely embrace all the divine is. The divine is infinite. No human religion can ever be anything but the finger pointing at the moon. Franciscan theologian Richard Rohr says all religion is a metaphor. Each of us has our own soul metaphor or cosmology, our way of understanding the universe and our place in it. We each have a soul metaphor whether we know it or not. Gandhi's soul metaphor refers to the divine as God and he and him. For many of us, the word God, along with the concepts like a male deity, seem to create a violent dissonance within us. Dealing with our own feelings about a male God can be a wonderful practice of nonviolence. Arun Gandhi, Gandhi's grandson and co-founder of this season, reminds us that we should release all attachment to possessing the truth and join his grandfather in pursuing it. Believing we possess the truth is the path of himsa, or violence. Believing we all, even Gandhi, pursue the truth is the path of ahimsa. Ahimsa is the Hindu-Buddhist practice of reverence for and nonviolence toward all living beings. Wow, that's a, that's a great distinction. I, I love it when, when people make these nuanced uh, insights into looking at words just a little differently, this idea about the attachment to possessing the truth. Like, I'm right, my way or the highway, and I double down on I have the truth and you don't. And then all of my communications with you are from that point of view that you need to come around to the truth that I see because I've already, I already know what the truth is and I'm a, I have, now have an attachment to my version of the truth. And I really like that distinction between possessing the truth or pursuing the truth. That recognition, the master teachers always acknowledge this, mm-hmm. that there is far more that is unknown to me than what it is that I do know. And that, that will always be the case, that there's always going to be more knowledge, more truth that is available to me to learn than what I already know. And so staying open to that pursuit of truth versus the possession of the truth is is a huge like 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 ding 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 like all kinds of epiphanies went off because I'd never heard it articulated quite that way. And that was very useful. And we're only on day one. That's a very useful Peace that I can already bring into my my way of thinking, my way of communicating, uh, and and my way of just showing up in relationships as well. Yeah, what jumped out at me in reading it was uh, the idea of um, the concept, a concept like a male deity, how it creates a violent dissonance within us, like for some people, and um, that that term violent dissonance. It's like, we don't even realize necessarily. And this is that subtlety that we can use in the, or I'm going to use in the practice over the 64 days is where am I creating a violent dissonance with things that I didn't even necessarily realize, um, I had an aversion to where are the places that I have attachments to? Like, there's just so much 
so much richness. And like you said, we're only on day one. And so, you know, as we're talking about this, having read this and talking about it, I want to encourage listeners who sign up for the emails to do it in partnership with some friends and and invite conversation. I think that we're able to really go deeper into it when we can talk about what did you get out of it? It's like making the reading a spiritual practice, almost like a Lectio Divina that you can do on each one of these and what phrases jumped out at you and how do you want to go deeper? And it's just, I'm getting super excited just talking about it right now, Rick. Well, it's the practice, practice, practice. You know, it that is the way to mastery. And so it's one thing if I, if I read the books or do the meditations uh, in isolation for myself, and, and, and we should be doing them for ourselves first because we're the we're really the principal work, but we can practice that in our interpersonal relationships, you know, with our significant others, with our children, with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbors, with the people closest to us. Uh, as Marshall Rosenberg talks about in the, his book, Nonviolent Communication, that, that really there's this fundamental universal need that human beings have. Wants are different. Desires are different than needs, but at a, at a foundational universal level, all human beings everywhere have the same basic needs and that most of our violence, so to speak, uh, most of our dissonance in the world is from our clumsiness, our awkwardness in attempting to get those needs met. We don't know how to ask for things uh, in a healthy, proactive way. We might not have the facility of language to even articulate a need. Even if we kind of knew what we actually needed, we might not have the vocabulary to ask for it. All of those things take practice and practice is the path to mastery. And it is like the old, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, that we still have a life to live. We still have work to do. And then enlightenment comes and enlightenment goes, but we're supposed to practice what we're enlightened to, you know, as well. If I get a revelation, if I get an epiphany, if I've learned a new way to do something more productively, it's not enough just to know, oh, wow, I could do it that way. I have to actually, if I want to get the the consequences and the effects, the rewards, the desserts for, for this new epiphany, then I must put it into play. And that's one of the things that I've always liked about unity, uh, unity principles. And that's one of the things that I like about the four agreements is their practical application and that emphasis on it's not just enough to know these truths. We must put them into to practice. And it is a path. It's a walking path. I like uh, the day one uh, affirmation. Religions are different roads converging upon the same point. What difference does it make that we take different roads so long as we reach the same goal? Like my path is going to look a little different than your path. But if we're all walking towards the same destination, we can learn to celebrate the differences in our paths, knowing that we're all headed to the same goal, that we're all, what's that idea about uh, we're all walking one another towards heaven, something like that. Somebody said something along those lines before that we're all just sort of walking one another towards heaven. I love that. That's absolutely beautiful. So um, for all of you listening, Rick and I have set our intentions. Uh, we invite you to take a minute, set your intentions. How do you want to be practicing nonviolence over the next 64 days and beyond? Um, and then as Rick mentioned, we're going to have it in the show notes, how to sign up for the emails. Whenever you sign up, you're going to get 64 emails. So you'll start at day one. 
Uh, so you don't have to sign up today, but do sign up as soon as you hear this and um, think about other ways to go ahead and practice nonviolence in your life. Any closing thoughts, Rick? Uh, yeah, Tammy. Uh, I'd like to encourage our listeners who are on the 64-day journey to pick up a copy of Marshall Rosenberg's book, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. And this makes a very powerful companion experience to the Season for Nonviolence's 64-day contemplative meditation emails. His four-step process to practicing nonviolent communication while getting your needs met will change your life. And as you change your life, so does the world change around you. And as Gandhi himself reminds us, we are to strive to be the change we wish to see in the world. So we'll include a link in the show notes where you can get a copy of that book, along with the link to get signed up for the 64-day email series, which includes daily inspirations from Gandhi, along with uh, meditative reflections and affirmative practices that will help us all to daily improve our skills at practicing nonviolence. And also, before we close this episode out, Tammy and I would like to thank you for taking the time to spend some of your time with us. So if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to check out some of our other episodes and also give us a like, or better yet, leave us a comment to let us know how we are doing. We always love to hear from our listeners with their questions, comments, or ideas for the One Power Podcast. So if you were so moved, we deeply appreciated it uh, when our listeners share the One Power Podcast with their friends. So if you're so moved to do that, we would deeply, deeply appreciate it. But thank you again, mostly just for taking the time to listen as Tammy and I continue this journey of transforming lives, one conversation, one episode at a time. So until next time, be the change you wish to see in the world. Peace and blessings, everyone. next episode of One Power, Tammy and I will be sharing our reflections on the recent Whitestone ceremony we experienced in early January, sharing our intentions for personal transformation in the year ahead, and also taking a peek into Julia Cameron's new book, The Listening Path. All of that and more on the next episode of One Power. One Power Podcast is produced with the support of Unity Church of the Hills in Austin, Texas, a spiritual community of love and acceptance where lives are transformed. For more information on the One Power Podcast, please visit our website, onepowerpodcast.com.